to the sweet spot on a farm episode 17. This is an episode I've been looking forward to for a very very long time. Um, we're, we're gonna be talking about gut health, about SIBO and FODMAPs and all the stuff that's really interesting to me especially at the minute and um, some of you know I've been doing this low FODMAP diet and I've been learning loads in the past few months but I have enlisted the help of a specialist and she's sitting here with me. Her name is April and she's absolutely amazing. She's a nutritionist and she's super awesome. Hi April, how are you? Hey. <laughs> that was an awesome intro, thank you. <laughs> she sounds really shy people but she's really not. I'm not, I'll, I'll warm up, I'll warm up, it's all good. <laughs> So um, we have so much to talk about and, and it's going to be really interesting, but I have one thing that I've, re I've been dying to ask you yeah. for a while and I sort of know the answer, but I think you could expand on it a little bit. You're specializing in gut health. Why? Why? Um, really from my own experience, uh, what got me into nutrition and I guess what kind of kept me going in the years that I was studying. So yeah, I first started studying nutrition because I was really interested in health, well-being, just food as medicine. I felt like there was a lot of things we didn't know and people hadn't researched fully um, and I just wanted to learn more about that. And I suppose I did start studying with a view of using it as a career, but I didn't know in what way exactly. And it just turned out that it was what I was meant to do because I came up against a few things in my own life health-wise and it really really helped me um, along the way. I don't know what I would have done if I wasn't studying what I was studying because I wouldn't be where I am now with my own health and well-being. So yeah I started to have um, some gastro issues, some skin issues. At one stage I had a rash all over both my cheeks, hives, you name it. Um, unfortunately, when I was going to my doctor, they weren't really sure what it was and sort of just giving me cortisone cream and things like that. And I sort of knew that there was something more going on and there obviously was something that wasn't agreeing with me, something wasn't happy with my body. So, um, yeah, I was working with some really great people at the time, um, mentors, lecturers at school, um, and I just was chatting to them more and more about it. And it was very much at the beginning of my studying, so, you know, I started the, the study thinking I knew things about nutrition and then I, I graduated going yeah I really didn't know anything at the beginning and it, you're always learning more and more as you go. So yeah I just uh, sort of discovered and played around more with um, food intolerances um, which is something that I think are really really overlooked nowadays um, and people think you need to be allergic to a food group to be taken seriously but your body can be really intolerant to it. And equally, just your gut health can be out of whack and you're not processing things properly or absorbing things properly. So I started to work with food intolerances for myself and tested a few things and took those out of my diet. And that made a massive difference because along with the skin rash, I was exhausted. I was going to bed, sleeping, you know, 10 to 12 hours, waking up feeling exhausted. I uh, just felt groggy all the time, puffy eyes, itchy eyes. My body was not happy. There was obviously like a bit of an issue going on with the skin as well, like just it's the first thing that people see when they see you and it was very very irritating and itchy and sore. Did some work on food intolerances, took out lots of things that were aggravating me and that initially was a massive step for me. The inflammation obviously dropped in the colon remarkably um, and I just started to feel better. I had more energy, I was sleeping properly, my mood was better, 
my gut was working properly, as in I was having bowel movements every day. People don't realize that's really, really important. So gradually over time, things started to get better. And then I started to do more and more work. Um, obviously, the more I learned, um, the more work I started to do on my colon, my liver, my kidneys, all sorts of things, just making sure everything was working better and my skin totally cleared up. But I could find photos to show you what it was like and what it's like now. It was unbelievable. So yeah, that really sparked an interest for me because I was thinking, okay, so so many people are walking around with so many issues and skin complaints, you name it, anything. And I've done this and changed this and I've got these results and I know I can go further with that. So that's what got me really interested. And I think for a lot of people who do what I do or anything similar, it does sometimes come from an experience you've had in your life, which is good because then when I'm working with clients, I feel I can really empathize with people because I felt lost and I didn't know what to do. And people were saying, oh, what are you going to do? Oh, try this cream, do this, do that. But I knew it wasn't something topical wasn't going to fix it. I had to go deeper. So at the same time, I suppose a year or two before that, I'd had a lot of stress in my life as well. Different things, moving countries and oh, lots of stuff um, went on. So that has a massive impact as well um, on your whole well-being and your, your gut essentially. And the more I work with clients, the more I can really start to see that. And when we're working together and mapping out everything that's happened clients will often probably be a bit alarmed at the amount I ask them you know what's happened in the past but usually we can start to draw a timeline to connect you know a stressful period to where they're at now and some of the symptoms that are going on so yeah I had stress going on and um, so stack that on top of uh, you know then the food intolerances and things that came up because obviously my colon was not in a good place and there was an overgrowth of suboptimal bacteria um, so all of that basically led me to just discover more for me and then for others and then you start to kind of tell other people about this and educate and then I just was kind of hooked on telling people and sharing with people that there are ways to, to help yourself. I'm not saying it's the only way to go but what we eat um, and how we sort of manage stress and live our lives has a massive impact on our overall health physical and mental. So yeah, it really started for me, gut health back then for myself. And then naturally it's kind of just gone that way with other people. And the, those are the clients that I mainly seem to attract because most things start in the gut anyway, my belief. That is really, really interesting topic. And in recent years, yeah. in the last year or two, yeah. it seems like everything and anything that is happening to us health-wise starts in the gut. It's like now more and more things mm -hmm. are connected yeah. to what's happening in our gut. It's incredible. I, I find it fascinating still. Mm -hmm. But you touched on something. I was going to ask you about that later on, but we may as well touch on it now. You mentioned stress. Yeah. And I feel that stress is responsible for a lot of health issues in my personal life, but mm -hmm. in other people's lives from what I can see. And so you have a very important and very hard job because you're trying to keep people healthy and you're trying to make people understand that pills and medication are not going to fix their problems, that they have to go deeper in order to be healthy. And that in itself can be quite a stressful job. <laughs> so 
you know, you're trying to fix other people's stress, but how do you deal with your own? Yeah, well, that's important too, because I'm just the same as everybody else. I have stress. We're always going to have stress in our lives, and we're always going to come up against new things that are challenging. So I feel it's it's always going to be a learning curve for everybody, but it's how you start to manage your stress uh, on a daily basis. So, okay, firstly, by nutrition is really, really important because it's going to give you the fuel you need to, to enrich every cell in the body to help you deal better with stress. So sleep is a massive thing as well, but I understand when people are stressed, they're not sleeping well. So we have to address that, why, why they're not sleeping well, what we can do, what you know, just by changing a couple of things diet-wise, we can hopefully get people sleeping a bit better, first and foremost, moving a bit better as well. So there's that. But yeah, I guess for me, like it's been a learning experience and by no means have I got it mastered. Like some days I'm literally just going, yeah, I'm really stressed, but I need to do something to sort it out. So we're always going to have stress. We're never going to live in a world where there's no stress. The world we live in now is you know, it's overrun by mobile phones, computers, we're always checking our emails, we're always got to be somewhere, it's like, you know, don't be late, be there, get to the gym, whatever it is. I think people have the view now wrongly that if you're not really busy, you're not doing enough, or you're lazy, when in actual fact, everybody's doing what they're doing, and nobody, nobody's lazy, and everyone can handle a different amount, but I think it's actually wiser to handle less long term. So to manage stress, for me, there's diet. Exercise is a massive part of it as well. Um, I just find exercise is amazing for de-stressing and I know everyone probably says that, but it really is medicine for me. Like food is medicine, exercise is medicine, movement. We're made to move. So we need to do that and we need to honor that. Like without sounding cliche, but like deep breathing and meditation is really important and I struggled with meditation for a long time and I couldn't really, I could never really get to where I wanted to be with meditation and then um, I started, I discovered the whole Wim Hof method which you obviously know about and, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how actually we met. So yeah, so with uh, Scott Riley who runs Causeway Living and uh, the first time that I started practicing the Wim Hof method at the workshop in Live Love Yoga in Bangor um, that day with you was fantastic and that was the first time that I felt I actually really could get into a more meditative state and that wasn't necessarily you know why that class was being run it was to sort of educate us on the breathing but that was getting me where I needed to go so I started playing about with that and used that a lot more um, and I find that really, really helps um, just doing the breath work. If I can't do it every day, at least every other day. And then alongside that, obviously, we started the cold water swimming as well. And all that, like that's another topic, I guess. But that is all so amazing for the nervous system, which I'm super fascinated by as well. I guess that's been really, really beneficial. Um, and I'm Scott isn't sitting beside me saying to say that you know I really feel like it's been a massive game changer in managing stress but it's a no-brainer because breathing is going to help with your nervous system and a lot of us aren't breathing properly just on a basic level it's the shallow breathing in the chest and that just raises anxiety in the body. He's saying that there and just realized I didn't breathe <laughs> I'm just, I'm not breathing oh my god <laughs> yeah 
that happens so often. But yeah. now I'm conscious of it. Since that workshop, I've been so conscious. Every time I stop breathing, I catch myself in a while and go, oh my God, I stop breathing. Totally. And it's um, the, the beauty of it then going into the cold water. And I was talking about this on Saturday. And that day is so crystal clear in my mind, the day we met there and we went in, we were standing together before we went in the water. Out. Oh my God, I was just looking at the water. Am I really going to do that? Why am I doing this? You know, yeah, and me too. And I was going, come on, of course you're going to be fine. You used to be a swimmer. It's nothing about being scared of the water. I was just suddenly going, oh, it can't be that cold. It's not going to be that cold. Oh, it was that cold. <laughs> you know, and when you're a toddler and things, you just run in and out of the cold water and you're, you're absolutely fine. But... Yeah, I was really like putting a toe in going, I'm like, I'm shaking, like I'm freaking <laughs> out. So, and you were there right beside me. I can remember your face. And um, yeah, that was the first experience of my life where my breath like was taken away by something. Yeah. So immediately you think of nothing else apart from I have to breathe. So it's a really good lesson to go, this is what's important right now. And that's the same in any stressful situation. That's why I feel like when you're practicing the method on a daily basis or as as best you can, it just starts to train your body about what is really important um, and what's always going to bring you back. Like if you're panicking, whatever's going on, breathe. It's not difficult to do. You just need to start doing it better and more often. So the cold water swimming's really helped me as well because now I do that weekly, at least with, with the Dash and Splash guys and, and sometimes during the week too. You know, it's like anything. It takes practice. Same with cooking or, or exercise. You've got to be consistent. So it's the same with that. So by going into the cold water every week, it just brings me back to, okay, monitor your breath, how you're breathing, what's going on, and it's going to help train my nervous system. So that definitely has been a massive game changer for me as well. But it's the whole multifactorial. I've chatted to you about this before. You can have the best diet in the world, all organic foods, vegetables, whatever it is, but essentially there's more than one pillar to health to address everything. Stress, movement, food, you know, the nervous system's super important in there as well. So you know, whether that's through chiropractic treatment, um, doing work like the deep breath work, going to the cold, all that kind of stuff is really important. So I don't feel I can sit here and I'm sure nobody can sit here and say, do this and you'll feel better and not be stressed. It's about what's finding right, what's right for you, finding that and seeing what works. Basically what just helps you cope better. And we don't want to just cope. We want to, you know, we want to thrive or whatever. And that's really important. But first and foremost, finding what helps you deal with life better and makes you better at lifing is really important. Yeah. It's like pieces of puzzle, and you need all these pieces to fit together and create yeah. the whole picture. And everybody's pieces are going to be slightly different. So totally. Somebody is really thriving on vegan, mm. whole vegan diet. Somebody's really thriving eating fish, or yeah. somebody's really thriving eating red meat once in a while and totally. somebody's thriving on raw food diet and everybody's different and it's really finding what's what's right for you. It's finding that balance I, su- I suppose and, and also honouring that that can change at any time as well. So what's working for you one week might not work the next week because of everything else going on, outside stressors, you know, 
there's lots happening in the world and we never know what's around the corner. So I think it's not being hard on yourself because a lot of um, people I work with and I've been guilty of it myself is kind of thinking, okay, we're doing this and this is how it's going to be and this routine and, and we need to be a bit more flexible because, yeah, if you don't make it to your workout class or whatever you're doing, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. No nothing is going to happen. Just, you know, get on with the day. It's a different day and you can do it the next day or whatever you're going to do. But, yeah, it's just people are very, very hard on themselves these days. I think more so than ever. I think the breathing is really, really important. Because it's that so important. Is, you can breathe through anything. Yeah. And, um, like, so on Saturday, I, I was saying to I went and did the Wim Hof workshop again. Um, and I've done that workshop before. And it's just, it's a, it's a bit longer. And it's just always good to get that reminder. And when you're doing it in a group setting... I don't know how you feel about this. So I just feel like it really brings back to you how important it is. And then you hear everyone else in the group. You hear how they find it, what they experienced. There is something really, something more calming for me about doing it in a group Yeah, me too. For yeah, some I reason. totally agree. I don't know. But I do actually, since that workshop, and that was in February, I've been trying to do the breathing every day. And... If I can't make it, in, I try to do it first thing in the morning when I yeah. wake up and if for some reason I forget or, or I sleep in or I really can't do that, I try to do it later before I go to sleep. Actually, if I do it before bedtime, I sleep so much better. I mean, I, I am mm -hmm. a good sleeper anyway, yeah. but I, just, I get like more quality, better quality sleep for some reason. But that breathing really changed things for me. And even now we went on a hike in Wicklow Mountains there mm -hmm. at the weekend and towards the end, we did 17 and a half K and it was like the most I've done so far. Yeah. And I'm not a big hiker. We're just training for uh, for Morocco later this year. So I d that was like a big challenge. But the last few hundred meters, I really thought I couldn't do it. I yep. was just, my legs were so sore and I was just, I was ready to give up. And then something clicked here and I was like, I can breathe through it. Mm -hmm. So I started breathing properly and I was really focusing on my breath and then I was focusing on putting one foot in front of the other. Yep. And when I was focusing on the breath, suddenly I wasn't focus focused on the pain or on anything else around me or on the fact that I decided not to do the rest of it. I just focused and I breathed and before I knew it, I was at the car park yep. and I've done it. I was up the hill and suddenly I was bursting with, with energy. So I, there was like a little hill with, with an extra view over the lake. I was just like, I'm just going to run up the hill <laughs> and view, and get, get the view of the lake because everybody there was doing it. I was like, yeah. hmm, I suddenly had the energy to do yeah. that. And it's like just breathing through it. It's incredible. It is. And, you know, that what you said there, you know, you were saying you had to just focus on your breath and, and one foot in front of the other, one step at a time. That's just really important in everyday life because everything can just get too much. You know, if we don't manage stress or we don't we don't become mindful of it, you know, essentially we just need to pull it all back and take things step by step. And most things can be sorted out when you sit down and logically think through them. So I think that on all levels, slowing things down, um, work-wise, social-wise, you name it, like that's really important as well for managing stress and also learning to say no to things that, you know, that, that that's okay. You don't have to always be available for people or um, have you don't have to always go to social events, whatever it is. You don't have to feel that pressure because 
sometimes it's just really important to take time for you away from it all and do stuff that makes you happy and if that's reading a book if that's exercising if it's cooking whatever it is you know so many outside pressures I think in the world you don't have to say yes to everything and you can choose what you want to do and what you don't want to do and how often you do it that's what we're here for to live life's for living yeah definitely and I've actually was listening to a podcast recently and I was reading an article as well about how stress can really impact on the gut balance absolutely which is which is incredible yeah. It's absolutely incredible. I think there was a study done uh, in in mice uh, putting putting them under stress and then monitoring their gut and then mice who weren't under the same level of stress and then the difference between was that the one with them swimming? Would they put in like a tank and they had to do some swimming? There was a study on that. I can't remember the end and some out, so no, it's I think in one of my. It was something taking little mice away from from the mother or mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. i think that okay. was the kind of st- it's so interesting but actually talking about that what is gut balance what does it mean because we're all hearing about mm-hmm. gut balance this and gut balance that but what does it actually mean well essentially from my point of view when you get the your gut health in a in a balanced state you're going to feel better you're going to feel better mood wise that's one of the big things Usually, um, if people have any symptoms such as constipation, diarrhea, bloating, discomfort, a lot of that can come from an imbalance in the microflora in the gut. So in order to get the gut balance, I'd like to say that you just take probiotics and you're good to go. But it's usually needs a little bit more than that. So getting the balance correct in the gut is really important because it's going to, as I said, increase your your mood, your your happiness and things like that. But um, to do it, you need to be really mindful of your whole diet across the board. So when they've got an imbalance in the gut, usually people have more sugars in there. So that can create an, an overgrowth of what they might want to call bad bacteria. I don't really like saying good and bad because bad's not a great descriptive word, but suboptimal bacteria. And there was an interesting study done, I don't have all the details here, but there was a study done where they took a large group of people and they placed a small balloon into the colon and got it to expand. They also put them through a brain scan at the same time or monitored the brain activity. And for anyone who had any kind of um, like inflammation, in the colon and these are people who didn't even know they had inflammation if you understand like maybe they just had the odd symptom a bit of diarrhea a bit of constipation bloating at the end of the day so anyone who had this inflammation in there when the balloon expanded and um, obviously touched on parts that were more inflamed than others of the colon there was a message sent up the vagus nerve the nerve that runs from the colon to the brain Um, and it was going straight up there and through the brain scan they could see it tapping into the emotional center of the brain and causing those feelings of discomfort and disease and feeling anxious so they were really starting this study to link gut health to mental health so I found that really fascinating um, when I first found out about that that was years ago Um, so yeah when the, the gut health is is off in any way, whether that's inflammation, um, which is always present if you know if you're having symptoms or some form of inflammation, and nearly everyone's body has a bit of inflammation going on 
somewhere, especially in the world we live in. Um, but that's really impacting as well on your emotional health um, and stress again, anxiety. Um, they're going as far to say that it can be impacting depression. Obviously, there's lots of studies going on looking at that. So it's about trying to get the, the balance right. And essentially, in my work, I work on that with food, with what food people consume. Um, and put simply, it's removing inflammatories, things that are are making your body angry and packing in foods that are going to obviously help balance that again but it's a step-by-step -step process um you know fermented food etc is all amazing but if somebody is in an initial state where the imbalance is very tipped one way so there's a lot of suboptimal bacteria my personal strategy for working on that is first and foremost is to just take out food groups that are aggravating them and add in beneficial food groups before we start going to exotic with anything because we need to strip back you know sugars and yeasts that are um, causing any overgrowth in the colon and start to really add nourishing foods in there so everyone has a different approach I guess but my approach has come from tried and tested on myself on many clients over the years many clients when I was studying in student clinic um, and once we start to build up the happier and better bacteria in the colon, people generally start to feel happier and better and they have more energy and they sleep better and their mood's better and that's really, really important. And I think people don't sometimes realise how poor they feel until they start to feel a tiny bit better. And then it's like, oh, wow. And then you can just build on that. And as well, it's really important and it's the core of everything I do because... In, in order to support somebody to make changes, it's really helpful if they feel like they can make the change, that they have the energy to make the changes, if their mood's good enough. Because if you're in that low place where you don't feel you can, it's really hard to, to get out of that. And yeah, you, people have support, but not everyone has brilliant support systems there with them. So just to try and get that gut bacteria a little bit happier, is really important to make someone feel better and then when they feel a bit better they're more equipped to kind of make changes whether that's cooking more getting outside and moving more all those things come easier and they actually start to feel better from that and then they can do more so it's very step by step and um, I do say that when people come it's not going to be an overnight fix or change should I say I don't even like the word fix either because we don't we're not fixing anyone no one's broken it's just we're bettering them so yeah uh, I say that to people they you, you kind of got to be in this for for long term it's a bit like going to the gym or you know starting a workout plan you're not going to do two sessions and go okay that's great I'm in the shape I want to be in so it's all the same nutrition lifestyle it's it's a life it's a lifestyle yeah that's it yeah it definitely is and it definitely isn't a short term there's no short term magic overnight fix but that's interesting as well because then you know that's part of the journey, so to speak. You know, you learn new stuff all the time. Um, unlike we chatted about earlier, it's not what's going to be good today might not be good in six months. Not not it won't be not good for you, but just your needs will change. When it comes to gut imbalance, there are so many species of bacteria and so many different types, and yep. and everybody's microbiome is different. So totally, my imbalance different ratios of different bacteria might not be imbalanced for somebody else. Yeah. So there isn't really one formula 
one-size-fit-all type of thing that we all should have this amount of lactobacillus and this no. amount of bifidobacteria and this amount of um, beneficial yeast and everybody yeah. is different isn't it totally um yeah and that's the same that's that goes for as well like we're talking earlier about foods and what what people eat you know some people are vegan some people eat red meat um and it's really important to understand that that I don't think people need to be pigeonholed in any way you know it is okay to follow a diet type I suppose but I'm a real believer and supporter in just doing what's right for your body what makes you feel good and the more I work with people and the better they start to feel the better they understand what works for them what food groups work for them which maybe don't work as well for them yeah it's okay they can still have them but they're just mindful they maybe just don't feel as good as they could so I think that's really important um, and it's kind of core to my work that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach so what might work for one person might not work for another and that's totally fine because nobody's internal terrain is identical to anyone else's absolutely and there are two key words that i learned in the past few months in regards to gut balance mm -hmm. or imbalance um and that's SIBO mm -hmm. and FODMAPs and mm -hmm. I heard I had heard of both of these terms yeah. before but I never really paid too much attention to them but a few months ago I've started reading about it because I felt really really out of balance and mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person who loves when I fall in love with some type of food I eat it all the time <laughs> yeah. and as I was reading about FODMAPs and SIBO I realized that for the past two years plus I was really living practically living on high FODMAP foods yeah and then I was reading about SIBO and I was like oh my god this is what I caused myself as well because I was overloading on probiotic foods and occasionally mm -hmm. I would be eating probiotic supplements when I yeah. was traveling as well and I probably just overdone it yeah. really rather than eating variety and a little bit of everything I was eating loads of particular types of foods that I loved yeah and they all happen to be high FODMAP foods so yeah. let's talk about SIBO and FODMAPs what is SIBO and what are FODMAPs well SIBO is classified as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth but we've chatted before about this and FODMAP diets are I find very restrictive and very difficult for people to follow and really anything like that I don't feel should be followed long term it can be used as a short term measure but what you've just said there is really important because taking away FODMAP and taking away SIBO it's basically trying to understand that the body needs lots of different things and if you give it anything in overload whether that's a health a healthy food whatever it is you know if you have too many avocados if you have too many apples bananas whatever it is the body's going to start to you know adjust to that um so you, you need to you need to kind of keep a real varied approach to nutrition and that's why when a lot of people come to me in the first place they have lots of fears around like a fruit fear or I can, I can't, you know, this kind of thing going on. And I'm, I'm trying to strip that back for people and get them to understand that pretty much every whole food on the planet has some sort of 
beneficial um, outcome when we consume it within our bodies unless you obviously have an allergic reaction to it or a very high intolerance but again if you have an intolerance usually over time that's something we can work on to, there's a reason why you're intolerant to it in the first place so yeah um, FODMAP um, is, is basically a diet that's recommending different food groups or, or, or foods that are removed for a period of time um, due to how the carbohydrates can't be broken down in the in the intestines so yes it can be really beneficial and I know that you've experimented with it and you're like perfect example of someone that can follow things and and do things amazingly and it really worked for you and it does it does this is the thing when people um follow it really well and as well you were in a place where you really needed it because you just said that you were eating all the foods that were high FODMAP all the time so you your body was missing the low FODMAP stuff and getting loads of the high in and that happens a lot like I don't know people I meet they kind of get into a routine of just eating the same thing all the time and it's okay you know we can do that for a period but variety is the spice of life as they say and it's so true for food as well your body will start to repel things if you're having it too often you know you need to really keep it varied so for anybody who's listening and are on, on a FODMAP diet or need to follow mm-hmm. a low FODMAP diet or, or are curious about it, what it is that FODMAPs actually are and is there anywhere, is there like a full complex list of the foods that are high or low in FODMAPs? Because when I was researching it, I found it really difficult to find a definite mm-hmm. answer. And also when you go online, there are so many controversial viewpoints. Yeah. Like one uh, website mm. would tell you that onions are okay on low FODMAP diet. Another one would tell you that no, onions are one of the highest FODMAP foods. And then... Yeah the same about garlic and then controversial about broccoli and then different nuts yes and no and I found it really really difficult to kind of make a full list of stuff that I can actually eat and I should be avoiding at least for the time being. Yeah well see this is where I respect people who follow anything like that FODMAP and and I have to take my hat off to them but the answer there is I don't know the full list that works for people because one person could have onions and be okay, the other person could have onions and have serious digestive issues. So yeah, there can be recommendations like anything, but these FODMAP diets have been tried out on lots of different people and like you said, every single person's inner terrain is completely different. So while it can be beneficial, I don't like to get too hung up on people following a particular type so it could be good if you were wanting to use it in initial stages as as guidelines of something to follow but you need to test out what's going to work for you and what doesn't and sometimes I think it can be a bit overwhelming to begin with something like that because there's so many rules in place and I always recommend people start a bit gentler it was different for yourself because you've done obviously lots of work over the years so you're in a pretty good place to be open to different food groups and, and things. But for other people, it's um, they're, they're really like at a starting point on a, on a bit of a journey to better their health. So if they're having um, gastro upset um, and any other symptoms that are related to it, I think first and foremost is starting with like really small steps, working with someone who knows um, small steps that are going to work to start to clean up your body. 
um, and just to really reduce the inflammation overall and start to flood the body with micronutrients. So many people are just lacking in micronutrients. There's a lot, there's strong focus on like macros and what you need to take in and that's important. But micronutrients are crucial and it's simple things. It's the low hanging fruit. It's like your vegetables, getting those in there on a daily basis, what you need, getting fruit in there if you're at a place where you can tolerate fruit. Water intake is like a massive importance to people and they don't realize that you know they're running about having maybe 500 mils of water in a day and four cups of coffee you're just going to be chronically dehydrated that alone dries out the whole system inside so yeah FODMAP I know that you've been following it and it is it is really beneficial for some but there does come a stage with that where people will want to introduce foods back in and it's just I guess my belief is it's not being too scared of anything because you can put yourself in a place then where it's very much I can't have that I can't when in actual fact if you've had it before at some stage in your life you will be able to consume it yeah maybe you'll you'll get a slight reaction or whatever but you don't want to keep it out forever either so same with intolerant foods people are intolerant to usually at some stage they can start to add those foods back in if they wish some foods people don't ever want to add back in because they realize they're not very beneficial for their health and that's more foods I find that are not essentially whole foods or plant-based foods so for a lot of people they don't want to maybe add dairy back in or maybe they're going to avoid gluten more long term and I, I don't really stress about that with people because the fact of the matter is a lot of those foods that they're created from those ingredients are quite void of nutrients anyway so you want to be focusing on more plant-based whole food so so yeah sorry I've gone off topic with that but in the nutritional world and, and I, I don't know everything I mean I, I need there's so much there's always new stuff to learn about and there's new I learn from every client that comes through the door I learn something new for them because everyone that comes in reacts differently to recommendations and that's important for me to always remember that everyone's completely unique and and has their own stuff going on in the background that stress we talked about that's always present for people too yeah yeah and it kind of does put you under stress when you're suddenly told to follow certain restrictions because yeah we we tend to see things as restrictions rather than that's a gateway to discovering something new so mm-hmm. yes there are a pile of foods that maybe you'll need to avoid for a short term and mm-hmm. um, for a short period of time but then there's this whole other yeah. massive pile of food that you can actually enjoy. And maybe you never heard of half of those yeah. ever in your life. But look how many different foods you can try now. And that's the way we should be looking at it. As a kind of the, opportunity mm-hmm. to discover new tastes and new foods rather than a um, time of restriction. And yeah, exactly. And I try to work on that with my clients a lot. So if there's food groups that um, they're taking out for any period of time or, or just going to avoid you know if they have a bit of it okay but um I then try to give them a list because it can be daunting at the beginning for people but I give them a list of like you say all the other foods out there that sometimes I have a couple of clients at the moment who weren't ever eating vegetables one had never tried goat's cheese um like the, their mind is being blown you know by foods i didn't know were out there and they're feeling really good and they have energy and they don't have cramping and bloating and 
everything that was sort of impacting their their life on a daily basis. One client's even been able to go away on holiday for the first time in 13 years. This year she got to go on holiday because she doesn't have to uh, worry about her digestive issues anymore. But it's just been a case of retraining the brain. Yeah. Um, And I essentially gave the tools to do that, but my clients do all the work. I just have some tools that work for everybody um, and I can tweak them depending on the person but my clients do the work and the clients I find that work on food but they also take something from the lifestyle section and um, when I write up uh, client work I'll write up all my nutritional guidelines and any supplementation that I feel is really essential at that time for the client and some lifestyle recommendations and for some people if they take from the food and the supplement side of things and the lifestyle, that that can be a massive game changer. Because again, it goes back to stress. And sometimes we don't even know we're stressed. So it takes somebody from the outside to step in and say, actually, you're doing loads. And if I was you, I would be flatline. You know, we can't do everything ourselves. And on that note, we're going to take a break here. And to hear the rest of it, you'll have to tune in next time for part two. I really hope you enjoyed it and if you're trying to balance your gut, whether you already are or are considering going on a low FODMAP diet, I can tell you that it did work for me personally, but it doesn't mean that it would work for everyone. I was on strict low FODMAP diet for three months and by strict I mean I didn't eat anything that was on the high FODMAP list. And I didn't eat a lot of the low FODMAP stuff either because it doesn't agree with me. But at the same time, I was also rebalancing my gut with Simprov liquid probiotic and taking peppermint oil after each meal. I was and still am also taking glutamine. And I drink some homemade vegetable or bone broth on a weekly basis usually when I do my 24-hour fast. I do 24-hour fast every week and I have minimum of 12 hours between my dinner and my breakfast the following morning, just to allow my body to reset and repair. I also meditate, get regular exercise and take care to spend as much time on fresh air as I can, so weekend hikes, hours on the river, cycling, walking, anything that gets me out, gets me some fresh air and hopefully some needed vitamin D, which in our climate is quite difficult to come by. So as you can see, rebalancing your gut, whether it is SIBO or any other issue you may have, is not just a question of probiotics and diet or supplements. It can be quite a complex issue and while low FODMAP diet really did work for me along with everything else, the same protocol may not work for everybody. So I do suggest that you seek a help of a professional. Maybe somebody like April. I did say that I was on a strict low FODMAP for three months. So now I've been reintroducing higher FODMAP foods and figuring out which ones are going to be out of my menu for quite a while and which ones I can take. And while it all sounds like a major pain, once you start enjoying preparing your own meals, it can actually be sort of fun to experiment in the kitchen with the stuff that you can eat. As for the list of FODMAP foods, I can highly recommend the Monash University pages at 
www.monashfodmap.com. Monash is M-O-N-A-S-H, fodmap.com. I did use their website to compile a basic list, which I then personalized to myself. Uh, for example, I still can't tolerate even low FODMAP fruits, so they were on my list of stuff not to eat. On their low FODMAP list, there are some sweeteners, um, surprisingly sugar as well, which is on my not to eat list forever, but... Um, I do find their list very helpful. It is a good starting point. Um, another good one to reference is also ibsdiets.org. And I believe it's time for a recipe. Um, April is sharing her recipe in the second part of our interview. So I'm going to give you one of my own. And to keep the theme going, we'll keep it low FODMAP. Inspired by our trip to Morocco, which is happening in the next few weeks... Here is my recipe for paprika aubergine. The first ingredient for the paste in this is garlic. But of course, if you are on low FODMAP diet or simply can't tolerate garlic, you can just leave it out. It tastes just as delicious without it. Um, you can perhaps add some more paprika, which is what I usually do. So what you need is four medium garlic cloves. As I said, you can leave that out. Pinch of sea salt two heaped teaspoons of paprika, one and a half teaspoons turmeric, one teaspoon cumin. It can be either whole or ground. You're going to blend it all together anyway. And about 10 grams of coconut oil or 10 mils of extra virgin olive oil and a little bit of spraying or filtered water. Crush the garlic cloves if you're using them and sea salt together. Uh, using pestle and mortar if you have it. If you don't, add all these ingredients into a blender and blend it all into a paste. For four portions, this is about four portions, you'll need two medium aubergines, about 300 grams each. You'll need 20 grams of coconut oil, one large onion. Again, if you're on FODMAP or you cannot tolerate onion, just leave it out. And what I find that works for me... Instead of onion, I would use leek leaves, just the dark green leaves. Leaves from one large leek should be enough. You'll need one unvaxed organic lemon, handful of fresh leaf coriander, about 150 ml of coconut milk, handful of green pitted olives or green olive tapenade. If you're using tapenade, make sure that it doesn't contain any preservatives and it should not contain anything else really apart from olives, olive oil and perhaps a wee bit of lemon juice or sea salt. And optionally you can also add some spinach. And you need some water or vegetable stock or if you're not vegan, uh, bone broth. I personally don't use it in this recipe but I'm pretty sure it would work well. Once your paste is ready, get your aubergines washed, cut them into chunky cubes and steam them for about 10 15 minutes max just to get them a little bit soft and coat them in the paste. Then put them in an airtight container, either a glass bowl with a lid or Tupperware. Leave them in the fridge for, well, as long as you can really. So you can leave that overnight or if you're making Sunday lunch, you can just do this in the morning. 
So you have your aubergines now coated in the paste. Your next step is you melt the coconut oil in a pot. You can use olive oil as well. You melt it in a pot and add in roughly chopped onion or leek leaves or whatever you're using and just saute it until it softens. Then you can add some extra cumin and paprika. Add the marinated aubergine and mix it really well and saute it just for a couple of minutes. Then add some water or vegetable stock, just enough to almost cover the aubergines and simmer it again just for a few minutes. Then add the coconut milk and the finely chopped olives or olive tapenade. Wash your unwaxed lemon, thinly slice it and add it to the pot. If you're using the spinach, rinse it and add it in and let it all simmer just for an extra couple of minutes at the lowest heat. If you have some really good quality saffron, at this stage I would add a pinch of saffron. You do not need it, but it does make a real difference to the aroma and actually to the taste as well. When it's done, I usually leave it sitting in the pot for maybe 20 minutes, half an hour off the heat, just to let the aubergine absorb all the flavors, especially if you're using saffron. And then serve it with chapatis or some whole gluten-free grains, if you can take them, um, and a big bowl of side salad. It tastes best the day after. So if you can't cook it in the evening and let it cool in the pot overnight, or even try using slow cooker. And that's it for today. Before I say goodbye, I'd like to give a shout out to Carl Gilmore at Octopi Stimuli, a talented graphic designer who is donating his skills to our charity pub quiz in aid of local mental health charity Mind Your Mate and Yourself, or My My, if you will. You can find Octopi Stimuli on Facebook if you want to have a look at all they do. Their website is currently under construction, I believe. You can also find them on Twitter and Pinterest. And by the way, he's also the techie who managed to get the Sweet Spot cookbook work for iBooks. And that is where you can purchase the beautiful digital version, which contains all the photographs and illustrations. The recipes in that book are not designed specifically for low FODMAP diets, but can be very easily modified. The book is full of sweet potatoes, but you can easily substitute them for something like celeriac or maybe purple potatoes if you can take them. You know, use your imagination and let your taste buds guide you. As April said, anyone can cook. And that's it for this week. Remember, you can download our recipes from the Sweet Spot on the Farm account on Instagram or from our public Facebook group, The Sweet Spot on a Farm. Have a great couple of weeks. Tune in next time for more chat with April. And remember to de-stress every now and again. And more importantly, stay healthy. Until next time. Bye. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening.